Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Nui Bank. We bring you the latest updates in ASEAN from rounding up the latest economic data in China, Malaysia and the Philippines, Singapore bank earnings and digesting Thailand's election results so far. We also released our ASEAN macro report on the impact of geo-economic fragmentation as President Joe Biden signs an executive order this week to further limit tech investments in China. Winston Poon, head of fixed income research, discusses with the analysts. Hi, good morning everyone. It is 8 o'clock on Monday. A quick recap for last week. Global stocks mostly traded lower. The S&P 500 was down 0.3%, Euro stocks 50 down 0.5%. Hang Seng and Shanghai Composite Indices led losses in the region, declining by almost 2% on weaker China data last week. For example, China imports growth fell sharply by percent in uh, March. A credit growth measured by aggregate financing also disappointed and new renminbi loans fell sharply in April. Also, China CPI slowed to just um, 0.1% year-on-year and also PPI inflation uh, fell sharply. Uh, these have raised concern that uh, China recovery uh, may be losing steam. Uh, within ASEAN, equities also ended uh, mostly uh, lower. Last week, the US CPI data, the headline, show uh, easing slightly to 4.9% year-on-year. Um, the core CPI also softened, but again only slightly and remained high at 5.5%. Some FOMC members uh, commenting last week uh, said that additional rate hikes uh, may be needed if inflation remains high and the labour market uh, remains uh, tight. Although this is not uh, something the market is expecting uh, because the futures uh, pricing is still showing a very low probability of hike uh, in June at the moment. The Treasury yields uh, went up last week uh, slightly and the dollar was uh, broadly stronger like the dollar uh, CMY spot increased to 6.96 and dollar ringgit by 25 bit uh, to 4.5% in a 12 uh, straight uh, meeting. Inflation in the UK remained very high at about 10%. Uh, but interestingly, the MPC, uh, the BOE MPC now has a more upbeat expectation on growth and uh, no longer expecting a recession this year. Uh, global commodity prices continue to uh, drift uh, lower across the crude oil prices and also industrial metal prices. Uh, in ASEAN, uh, both Malaysia and Indonesia released their first quarter GDP last week. And later, we have uh, Suhaimi and uh, Joye to, to comment. Also, over the weekend, we have the Thailand election results, and we'll cover that by uh, Joye and Chuck later. And this week, the key data to watch for include um, China's one-year MLF rate, and also Philippines uh, central bank rate decision. Also, the ongoing um, US debt ceiling issue. Uh, there was a planned meeting last Friday between President Biden and House Speaker uh, McCarthy, but that has been postponed uh, to this week. The market expectations of a so-called X date, as in when the US government exhausts all the funding options, um, currently market expected to be around uh, mid-June to late July. Uh, this morning, um, we have, um, we're have we going to cover a number of topics on uh, including Thai elections, uh, Malaysia GDP, uh, and then uh, Philippines uh, GDP. Uh, Brian on China trade data and inflation. Uh, Habin has a thematic report. And also Tillon on uh, Singapore bank first quarter results. Uh, let's start with uh, Thailand elections uh, with uh, Joey. 
Uh, can you share uh, the results? Uh, which party do you think will form the government and any macro implications? Hi, good morning, everyone. So uh, it's shaping up to be a very interesting set of election results for Thailand uh, with pro-democracy groups uh, dominating the polls. Uh, so far, 97% of the vote has been counted and the official results will be released only around early July. Uh, but according to the prelim vote, uh, the Move Forward party was um, the clear winner. It outperformed expectations by winning 113 constituency seats as well as 38 party list seats. It also dominated uh, Bangkok. It won 32 out of the 33 seats uh, in the capital city. Uh, Pertai was a close second with 111 constituency seats and 29 party list seats. So uh, altogether, the two parties won 292 of the seats so far to secure a majority in the 500-seat lower house. Um, the Move Forward leader, uh, Pita Limjaranrat, has stated that uh, Move Forward and Pertai, as well as other opposition parties, can form a coalition government. Now, although coalition talks have happened yet, uh, but despite that, uh, the, the two main parties, uh, the number of seats are still lower than the 376 vote uh, needed to uh, for the opposition party to choose a prime minister. Uh, given that there's still the 250 members in it, uh, which previously uh, was picked by the military, that will be involved in the selection of the prime minister this time around. Uh, the current government performed quite poorly in the polls. Uh, Palang Pracharat only got 42 seats. Uh, General Prayut's UTM party only uh, secured 37 seats. Uh, Bomdetai party was uh, performing better than those two with 69 seats and may uh, have a role to play in forming the coalition government with uh, Pertai as well as Mufo party. Uh, but regardless of the uh, outcome, uh, we think that the new government will likely introduce some measures to boost the economy uh, and they have uh, made promises in their campaigns, including cash, cash handouts, uh, debt forgiveness, as well as minimum wage hikes. So this could lend to, and this could help to lend some support to private consumption, uh, and uh, which will help to offset the weakness in goods exports. Uh, we do not rule out uh, some legal and technical issues related to the election, uh, and that could result in the dissolution of one or more parties, as we saw in the previous election in 2019. Uh, that could delay the government formation process and may push back the passing of budget for the new fiscal year, as seen uh, during the 2019 election. Uh, but overall, we maintain our GDP growth forecast at 4%, uh, and this will mainly be driven by the tourism recovery. First four months, we are already seeing tourist arrivals at 8.6 million uh, and will likely reach our target uh, of 27 million for the full year. Uh, as of April, it's around... Um, Tourist arrivals have reached around two thirds of pre pandemic levels. Uh, back to you, Vincent. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Joey. Chuck has just joined the call. Prelim yeah. election results. Can you share your take on the outcome? Is it good for or bad for Thailand stocks? How will market react? Right. Well, short term, I would expect uh, market volatility uh, simply because um, this outcome is you know somewhat unexpected. I mean, we know. Uh, move forward was 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 rising in the poll in popularity, but to actually see the numbers, I think you know, caught market will will catch the market by surprise. Having said that, um, you know, um, in the medium term, I I would think uh, you know, market to be quite positive, um, because you know, any new government will want to you know, um, enact you know, strong economic policies, you know, to make sure that the say the first, 
um, you know, year on the job will will be positive, right? Um, so, so I would expect that. Um, I also do not expect any radical um, economic policies and rather the focus will be on, you know, social and political issues, you know, you know things like decentralization of government, military reforms, uh, amendments of section 1.12. I mean, these are the things that, you know, uh, MFP in particular talked about, but Thai also touched upon, right? So these are the, the I think the area, um, the, the common ground basically. So um, eventually I think, MFP and Thai will join hand to form the coalition, you know, together with a couple of uh, smaller parties, they could reach over 300 votes in the lower house. Um, personally, I do not expect the senators to vote against popular votes. I mean, uh, I, I think that would be quite a radical move on, on that part. Um, and I also do not expect Thai to jump um, across the ideological line to join hand with the uh, you know, military-led uh, parties either, right? So, so I think those, those both of those alternative uh, uh scenarios look look increasingly unlikely, uh, given how strong uh MFP uh has performed in, in the poll. Um, the 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 sectors that we like continue to be consumption plays. Um, so we like CPL, Com Seven, Home Pro. Uh, we also like uh, uh smaller cap uh F and B name uh Sape. Uh, on the tourism, uh, we we also think that you know growth will accelerate uh, in the in the months ahead. Uh, we like Mint and Era One, ERW. Uh, that, that's all from me. Thanks, Chad. We'll move to Suhaimi. Um, Suhaimi, uh, Malaysia's first quarter twenty three uh, GDP growth came in at uh, five point six percent year on year, which is well above consensus but close to your forecast. Uh, despite the still strong growth in first quarter, and uh, there seem to be broad-based moderations across the sector. Uh, do you expect additional slowdown? And what is your forecast for 2023? Do you think the risk to growth is more to the upside or downside? Um, thanks, uh, Winston. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we expect further deceleration in growth after first quarter. I think first and foremost, there is the base effect factor, especially given the surge in last year's second quarter and third quarter growth to almost 9% year-on-year and 14% respectively, and further supporting our view of slowing growth post-first quarter, Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index or PMI dropped 5.4% year-on-year in April compared with a March decline of 1.6% and first quarter drop of 4.8%, uh, portending softness in manufacturing output and export. There's also for the drop in CPO output. Uh, in April, it slumped nearly 20% year-on-year uh, versus March drop of uh, just under 9%, uh, signaling weaker agriculture, GDP, and downstream processing of CPO, which is a key segment of the domestic-oriented manufacturing industries. I think factoring the first quarter actual GDP numbers, we've raised our 2023 real GDP growth forecast to 4.5% from 4% previously. So uh, the outlook remains that of economy slowing or moderating from the 8.7% surge last year that was boosted by full economic opening. I think risk to growth outlook at the moment are somewhat balanced. Uh, the downsides are primarily impact of higher inflation and interest rate hikes on domestic demand, which we are seeing right now, as well as uh, the impact of global economic downturn on external trade, which is also something that we are seeing right now. Uh, mitigating factors 
include a drawdown of household or individual excess savings and tourism recovery as buffers to consumer spending downside. Uh, we also see positive investment growth momentum uh, because the surge in 2021-2022 approved uh, private sector investment is translating into rising actual or realized private investment. There's also the faster growth in China from its uh, COVID-19 uh, policy exit and economic opening mitigating the downturns in US and Europe. How about Malaysia current account? A smaller surplus in first quarter. Are we revising the forecast? Uh, first quarter current account surplus narrowed to 4.3 billion ringgit or just 1% of GDP uh, compared with fourth quarter last year's 25.7 billion surplus, almost 6% of GDP. Uh, this is because of a smaller surplus in good straight account as well as uh, larger net financial and capital outflows amid uh, sustained services trade deficit. Our full year 2023 current account surplus projection remains at 47 billion value-wise, but as percentage of GDP is down marginally to 2.4% from 2.5% uh, because of the earlier mentioned upward revision in GDP growth forecast to 4.5% from 4%. I mean, just to add, past few years have seen a trend of smaller current account surplus in the first half of the calendar year, mainly due to uh, increase or higher non-residence repatriation of income, profits and dividends earned from employment, business operations and investment uh, in the preceding year. Uh, but this is followed by larger surplus in the second half as those flows recede. And for this year, we're also expecting improvement in tourism and travel receipts uh, from the recovery in the industry, especially with uh, China reopening. Thanks. Uh, we'll move to Zamros on Philippines. Uh, GDP in the first quarter slowed to 6.4% from 7.1% in 4Q. What are the main drivers and your forecast for 2023? Hi, morning, Winston. Uh, morning, everyone. Yeah, Philippines uh, first quarter GDP slowed to 6.4%, uh, 6.1%, and our own for uh, estimates of 6.3%. Uh, the 6.4% growth in the first quarter mainly on uh, firmer domestic demand, uh, surprisingly, uh, but at the same time, you also see uh, this lump in external demand. So domestic demand is actually uh, expanded uh, better than previous quarter at 7.2% from 5.5% uh, in the fourth quarter, mainly on the uh, higher growth in uh, government consumption uh, as well as gross fixed capital formation. At the same time, uh, net external demand contracted 13.8% uh, from expansion of 10%, mainly because of the uh, the export sector, uh, which uh, which uh, almost stalled at 0.4% uh, during the, uh, the quarter, and mainly driven by uh, the contraction in export of goods, which actually uh, contracted 15.3%, uh, despite the... Uh, uh, double-digit growth in export and services uh, at 19.5%, uh, with higher growth in transport and travel activities, mainly be due to the uh, recovery in the uh, uh, tourism industry. So overall, 
we maintain our forecast uh, for this year at 5.5% and for next year 6.2%. But uh, we tweaked uh, the component forecast mainly to incorporate the expected uh, slower growth in exports. Uh, we are now looking exports to be uh, slower at 1.7% from 6.8% uh, previously and imports uh, at 6.7% from 9.7% previously, mainly to take into account the expected sluggish external demand uh, for this year. Uh, Winston. BSP is going to have a meeting this week. Hike or no hike? Yeah, uh, we think that uh, BSP is coming towards the end of uh, the tightening cycle uh, with uh, GDP moderating at 6.4%. But the thing is, at the same time, uh, if you look at the uh, inflation uh, still uh, still elevated, uh, staying above the uh, 4% upper end target uh, by BSP, uh, despite the headline inflation uh, moderating to 6.6% from 7.6%, uh, in March, uh, core inflation is still uh, very much uh, sticky at 7.9% uh, in April from 8% uh, in March. That makes the, uh, for the first four months, uh, core inflation is still at 7.8%. And if you look at the uh, uh, individual items in the CPI basket, there are still 200 items in the CPI basket, which is still above the 4%, which is the upper end target. Uh, by BSP and normally uh, it's only about 100 items which are uh, above the 4% uh, target. So I think overall we still think that uh, BSP still has room uh, for another 25 basis point rate hike uh, this week, mainly to make sure that uh, inflation expectation is uh, uh, fully anchored. Uh, Winston. Thanks, Zamras. We'll move to Brian on China economic data. Uh, last week, China released a few uh, weak data, uh, including uh, external trade, uh, inflation, and also credit growth. For example, the exports uh, dropped and also imports dropped uh, more uh, pronouncedly. Uh, what is your take on this? Uh, is it a concern, especially on the import growth? Uh, is it a sign that China recovery is losing steam? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hi, Winston. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think focusing on the import growth, um, yes, the decline in imports, uh, which actually fell 8% in April from a year earlier, could suggest that uh, that in part that uh, domestic demand for goods remains modest. But uh, I think we have to remember that the uh, weak imports also reflects uh, soft export demand as well, as suggested by double-digit year-on-year declines in the imports of components and parts for processing of exports, uh, such as fabric, mechanical and electrical products and rubber. Uh, also, the weakness in imports could uh, also partially reflect uh, chip-related export curbs imposed by uh, the US, uh, which have impacted integrated circuit and high-tech product imports. Uh, I think on a whole commenting on the, um, on the uh, China's recovery, I think even as... Uh, 
what the data that we have seen so far and they have been suggesting is that on the goods side, domestic goods demand has yet to recover strongly. Uh, however, the services recovery is very much on track and service cons- services consumption revenues soared to uh, 101% of uh, pre-pandemic levels during the five-day Golden Week holiday in early May, uh, with revenues uh, reported by dining and retail companies jumping nearly 20% from a year ago. Uh, so services consumption may have further wind left in its sales uh, as the labour market gradually recovers uh, and households become more willing to spend the uh, substantial excess savings that they accumulated during the pandemic. Uh, so I think despite what some uh, observers are saying, it will be premature at this point to deduce from the data that China's reopening recovery is uh, you know, uh, losing steam. How about China's CPI? The headline dropped to just 0.1% year-on-year. Core CPI also very benign, 0.7. And also the PPI deepened the contraction to minus 3.6% year-on-year. Should we be worried about China deflation? I think it is unlikely that we will see a sustained period of uh, consumer price deflation in China this year. Uh, Although I would not rule out a short period of year-on-year price falls for headline CPI, um, given high base effects for food and transport until the third quarter. Um, in April, the goods basket had actually already slipped into deflation. Uh, it declined 0.4% from the previous year. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I think it's important to emphasize that uh, weakening headline inflation in the year to date, uh, the latest print in April was uh, 0.1%. Um, and the weakening headline inflation is predominantly due to supply and base effects rather than you know underlying demand. Uh, core inflation has remained low but largely unchanged at around 0.7% year-on-year over the past three months. And this suggests that demand conditions are stable, although modest. Uh, again, demand has been concentrated in services as seen in three consecutive months of strengthening services inflation since February. And services inflation may strengthen further in the coming months due to robust consumer going forward. Stand at one point. User price deflation, costs, and ample industrial spare capacity amid weak external demand. Uh, just to start a figure, capacity utilization in the industrial sector was only 74.3% in the first quarter, uh, which was actually lower than last year's uh, average of uh, 75.5%. Yeah, back to you, Vincent. Thanks, Brian. We'll move to Habin. Habin has a thematic a report on ASEAN supply chains in a fragmented world between the US and China. Uh, Habin, uh, in your report, I think you have some data uh, showing that ASEAN uh, so far uh, seems to be the beneficiaries. There has been larger increases in exports to both the US and China, and also ASEAN have received larger share of China outward direct investments. And even Japan and Korea are pivoting towards ASEAN. Can you walk us through the key takeaways from the report? Hey, hi, good morning. So the thematic force focuses on geo-economic fragmentation, which is clearly reshaping trade and investment flows. Partly motivated by the fact that um, the IMF released a, a chapter on this thematic. And I'm warned that fragmentation and formation of opposing geopolitical blocks centered on the two largest economies, US and China, could reduce global GDP, undermine trade, and increase financial stability risk. But what was a bit striking to us is that they actually broke down by regions and they showed that ASEAN was going to be especially badly affected. 
And the IMF had estimated that the medium-term investment impact on Southeast Asia could be minus 3%, and the long-term GDP losses could be more than 6%. Uh, we don't agree. We think the ASEAN, even though it's not immune to the fallout from fragmentation, but has so far benefited from the rechanneling of trade investment because of its neutrality. So as Winston highlighted, ASEAN has seen large increases in exports to both, both the US and China. Share of US imports from ASEAN has grown to over three over ten percent from uh, seven percent five years back, boosted by especially Vietnam and Thailand. And share of us China imports from ASEAN has also risen to about fifteen percent currently from twelve uh, percent in twenty eighteen. And also showed that ASEAN share of China's outward direct investment has also been rising, yeah, as even as Chinese firms shift production to match this geopolitical risk, reduce costs, and expand their regional influence. Um, but part and parcel of this is that doesn't mean that the global supply chain is going to be more resilient in the sense that ASEAN is also becoming more reliant on China for imports of components and capital goods. Uh, so that could also increase ASEAN dis vulnerability to disruptions if US sanctions broaden and tensions worsen. Um, so some of this increase in uh, intimidated goods, especially uh, large for Vietnam, which is going to be uh, you know, emerging as a big manufacturing hub. Uh, it's also about friend shoring. So not only our shares growing with US and China, our trade shares, investment shares are also growing with Japan, Korea, and Taiwan. And even these countries are pivoting towards ASEAN to reduce their reliance on China. So Japan has announced subsidies for firms onshoring and moving production to ASEAN. And we've seen some of the big surge in Japanese investment, particularly um, for Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, while Japanese investment in China has stagnated. And for Korea, since the launch of its new Southern Policy Framework to advance ties, ASEAN's share of Korean exports has also climbed, and ASEAN's out Korean's outward direct investment to ASEAN has also climbed 50% over the last five years. Um, there's more details in the report, but also we show fragmentation generally in the US-China electronics trade, as well as the energy markets. I think what is striking is that China's share of now US electronic imports has fallen sharply from 52% in 2018 to 37% in 2020, and there's probably more to come. What is your take on US-China rivalry? Are there any risks we should watch out for, perhaps uh, briefly? So it's uh, probably going to intensify and get worse. Just bear in mind that end of this week, Biden plans to sign an executive order that will broaden the kind of limits that were imposed last October on semiconductors. Um, so this executive order will limit the investments in semiconductors, artificial intelligence, and quantum computing. And this order applies as well to venture capital and private equity firms. So you know, as, as far as uh, the way things are moving, I think uh, this fracturing between the two will only uh, worsen. Thanks, Harbin. I will move to Thailand on Singapore banks. Uh, Thailand, how is the first quarter results? Any surprise? And what are the bright spots and any area of concern? Uh, also, what is your outlook on uh, Singapore banks' loan growth, deposit, and also uh, set quality? Sure. Morning, Vincent. Uh, so the results themselves uh, were quite good with all three banks uh, beating expectations. But the quality of the beat was not too great uh, with contributions coming from higher trading income and lower loan loss provisions. Whether both of these trends can persist in the coming quarters is the question. Uh, trading income, as you all know, is very volatile and provisions are a function of asset quality. 
so far, we are not seeing any sectoral asset call distresses, but all three banks were using very uh, cautious language uh, on NPLs. Uh, they are also guiding for higher credit charges going forward. Uh, we think the higher for longer rates, uh, as well as uh, slowing uh, growth conditions, will have an adverse effect on sectors like the SMEs, um, as well as some of the consumer credit uh, side as well. So that's something to watch out for. Net interest margins were strong, uh, but we are starting to see uh, momentum coming off. Uh, deposit competition, although seems to have rationalized, liquidity remains quite good. Uh, but the banks are also kind of hitting a uh, ceiling in terms of uh, loan pricing as well. So that's uh, so we think uh, overall NIMS will start to uh, peter out as we go into 2023. And we are not seeing a, a, a pickup in loan growth either. Most of the guidance for loan growth uh, has been cut. So we are only looking at about a, you know, probably like a flat loan growth or probably even slightly negative uh, going into this year. Um, having said that, there was a bright spot and that was wealth uh, management that actually saw a sequential turnaround. Clients uh, seems to be taking a bit more risk and this should improve as we go through the year. Vincent? Which bank is your top pick? So we are, we, are, we are neutral on the Singapore banks overall, and we prefer the Indonesian and the Thai banks at this stage. Within Singapore, we like DBS, uh, which has a higher structural ROE as well as a very strong balance sheet. Thanks, Tillon. And thanks, everyone, for joining the call. Have a good week. Download our research reports from our Maybank Trade app, Happy Investing This Week. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. 